0: This is channel 253. The Citizen Tacoma podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Candace Roode, and I fly Alaska. To book your next flight, go to alaskaair.com. I'm Candace. I'm Doug. And we are the Citizen Tacoma podcast, informing an empowered electorate. I
1: thought we were empowering an informed electorate. In in the the city city of Destiny. destiny. Citizen
2: Tacoma. My heart.
0: Hi, doug hi candace uh <laughs> <laughs> so the world is ending yeah
3: my lip service will kill us all did i just say that <laughs> Uh oh
0: you might have i could have all right we're talking about the future of the tide flats today with two people with very different viewpoints and also kind of the future of the world and our planet should it still exist in 30 years <laughs> All right, welcome to Citizen Tacoma. Thank you. Hi, yeah. hi. So today we have Meredith Neal from the South Sound Manufacturing Industrial Council, and Melissa Malot—is it Malot? Malot, Malot—from Citizens for Healthy Bay. And you guys are both the executive directors of your respective organizations. I am.
4: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Technically, I'm the director, but I'm I'm the one and only right now. So right. <laughs> I'm
0: everything. You're the only staff member, yep. right? <laughs> so. Um, I thought you two – I kind of want to introduce what we're talking about here today. Um, I thought you two would make great guests because your organizations have typically been on opposite sides of the interim regulations debate on the Tide Flats that uh, we recently did an episode on. And if you're not familiar with what that is, you'll be hearing a lot about it. But you can go back to two episodes ago, and we did a really nice primer on it and why we have them. Um, So every time they come up for renewal, this debate – happens again Mm -hmm. and um, I wanted to dive deeper into your viewpoints with both of you since it's been a pretty divisive topic and a big topic on the minds of a lot of Tacomans. (laughs) in the past years, there's been a lot of screaming on both sides, which we were just talking about. It's not fun to listen to, and it's exhausting. And you guys have always been very respectful and professional and even keeled, which I really appreciate. So I'm really excited to have this conversation. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about uh, both your organizations and what you do. Go
4: ahead. Um, Okay. So Meredith Neal, Manufacturing Industrial Council in the South Sound. Um, So my organization was formed at the end of last summer. And it was formed around a feeling that the manufacturing, industrial, and maritime businesses needed to have a more cohesive voice mm-hmm. uh, and start working together as we talk about the future of manufacturing and industrial lands. So, our year one focus is the Tacoma Tide Flats area. Um, year two, which is going to be starting this summer, where we're going to be expanding out into Frederickson, um, which is another one of our manufacturing industrial centers. And so, sort of looking at all the different things that happen around those businesses. So um, as it's kind of evolved, I see three things that are our primary focuses right now. One of them is on telling the stories and advocating for the manufacturing, industrial, and maritime businesses. Um, You see a lot right now that people used to have a friend, a family member, who worked in one of those sectors. Mm -hmm. And 50 years ago, even 30 years ago, that was the case. Today, a lot of people don't know anybody who works in that sector. And so they don't understand what those jobs are, what they look like. And people kind of work on outdated knowledge bases. Mm -hmm. And so um, we're doing a lot around that storytelling aspect of collecting stories and then kind of sharing them with the larger community and with elected officials and decision makers. Um, there's another piece to it, which is that we have a lot of our skilled trades. We have kind of this silver tsunami. We have people who are retiring out of it and we don't have new young people going into them. So I've been doing a lot of work with community colleges, with apprenticeship programs, um, And with the K-12 program, trying to figure out how we can get more young people into skilled trades. Mm -hmm. And so those are kind of my primary focuses right now, and we'll see as it evolves.
0: And kind of change the perception from, like, these dirty jobs that people maybe don't know a lot about. Yeah,
4: absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of people have perceptions about what types of jobs they are, that they're mm -hmm. very dirty and that – They're that their jobs that you see white men in. Mm -hmm. And I would say that I've been really surprised in so many of the facilities, how many different languages are spoken, how diverse the population is and how many women there are, not just in office type positions, but Mm -hmm. also on the floor. Um, and so, I, you know, sort of changing that dynamic about what people think about. And also, I think, you know, so many parents aren't really open to their kids going into jobs like that right. because parents have preconceived notions and they want their kids to go get a four year degree. Mm-hmm. And not everybody is the right sort of mindset to do that. Some of them would be much happier at doing something that's hands on, that's kinesthetic, that they can do every day with their hands and be moving. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you and
0: know, and not go into $100,000 in debt. <laughs> right. Yeah.
4: Right. right. Yeah, and you know, a lot of them are really good-paying jobs. I've been really surprised too at the high level of wages at a lot of them.
0: Right. Have right. Absolutely. Um, Melissa.
3: Hi. um, I'm the executive director of Citizens for Healthy Bay. We were founded in 1990 as a Superfund watchdog organization. So Superfund sites are the nationally ranked contaminated sites, and the tide flats had eight. Nationally significant Superfund sites, and then hundreds of um, state-level significant contaminated sites. And so CHB was founded to um, be the citizen watchdog on that. We're a science-based organization founded by scientists focused on um, originally getting those sites cleaned up, so helping make cleanups happen faster and better. And um, we've been part of the seven cleanups that have happened on the Superfund sites, and then dozens and dozens and dozens of the um, ones that have been cleaned up outside of Superfund sites. Uh, We also have a boat and patrol for pollution and have um, a lot of policy expertise on staff. So um, I'm a lawyer by trading. and I didn't know that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I I focused my career on policymaking and then – working with scientists is just really wonderful and people who have technical expertise because it gives us a, a depth of knowledge that's about being accurate and understanding the big picture of what's going on. Um, and so so we focus on science-based knowledge and advancing policy to protect the environment because we believe that's what's important for a healthy community. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, like, I come from a labor family. My father was an organizer. My grandfather was an organizer. His father was an organizer. And so... Um, I think I get this very deeply that like we have to have a healthy economy Mm -hmm. that has family wage jobs and, um, also a healthy environment because if everyone's getting sick because of pollution or, um, because of environmental issues that that's extremely expensive and it's a huge burden for the community. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I mean, because of that, I, that's why I'm an environmentalist and, um, why I love this job that I'm in. So, right. yeah. So we get out on the water twice a week in the tide flats and patrol for pollution. We um, work at the policy level to advance environmental policy. We educate the public. We engage the public in how to productively engage in government decisions that affect the environment. And, um, yeah, that's where we're at.
0: And so on the um, – I think probably a lot of people know you guys. A lot of listeners know you guys. But on the interim reg side – There's been kind of this environment argument and the business argument, and that's we're going to get into more of that later, but that's where the sides you guys have kind of fallen on like Mm -hmm. historically, but I think we probably have a lot in common too, so we're going to talk about all that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, Meredith, your group was developed in part to help portray manufacturing jobs on the Tide Flats and in the South Sound in a positive light. Um, How are you doing that, and what positive things? things do you think a lot of people don't realize about those manufacturing jobs and those companies in our area?
4: Sure. Um, So you know, one of the first big surprises to me is the variety of manufacturing that we have around here. You know, when people think about manufacturing, they kind of think, as I did, about like a factory that is making something that has lots of big scary machines in it and is like loud and noisy and dirty. Mm -hmm. Um, And so one of the things that I just recently started um, and launched actually about a week ago is this Made in South Sound photo series. Mm -hmm. And each month we're going into to a different manufacturer and taking photos and writing a little blurb about them. Um, there is a website that students from UWT are building for me right now that will be housing that. They're a little bit behind schedule, so we'll get that up and running in a little bit. Um, but it's free labor. Um, yes. <laughs> And uh, But it's also being featured in South Sound Business Magazine. And so I there's a one-page that. spread. Mm-hmm. Um, so our first one was Bite Me Cookies. And Bite Me Cookies is out in Lakewood. It's a minority woman-owned business. They make 14,000 cookies an hour, which is amazing to me. Mm-hmm. And wow. um, when I was in that facility the day that we were there, the only man that was in the entire manufacturing facility was the photographer I brought in with me. Nice. <laughs> and I was thinking, how awesome is that? Here's this business That's that the from the people top people down, men.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. (laughs) Men are fine.
4: I'm sorry. (laughs) And so, you know, it's you look at. the differences in all of these different types of manufacturers, and I picked that one partially because I think it helps people rethink that narrative. Right, you and I um, talked about that. Like those yeah. cookies are sold in Whole Foods. Like right. people probably have yeah. to see I them mean, all the time. So you buy them. So they do contract baking. So they have their little um, flour power cookies. Mm. That's kind of their main bite me brand. Um, but then they contract bake for Whole Foods, for Metropolitan Market, for PCC. Um, they use organic whole wheat flour. I You know, everything is RGSPT-free, and so it's—yeah, it does. It sort of changes that dynamic about what you think about. Um, The next one that—the next two coming up will be McFarland Cascade. They make telephone poles, Mm -hmm. so definitely, like, much more what you think about, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, And then—and they do pressure-treated lumber as well, and then uh, Pabco Roofing, which makes roofing products. And— when you look at a lot of these different businesses, especially on the sort of more t- traditional heavy industrial side, I you see a lot of things that they're already doing around environmental sustainability. Mm-hmm. So like at Pabco, they have bins everywhere where any product that doesn't work because it's an asphalt-based product. So it's oil-based by nature. Um, any product that as they pull it off the line to check it, they toss it into a bin, and those all get chopped up and are given to the city of Tacoma and are paved into our asphalt roads. Oh. And um, and they have an asphalt recycling program as part of their roofing shingle process that people can return old roofing shingles, and they do the same thing. So they have contracts with a lot of different municipalities around here, and old shingle bits are chopped up and put into roads. Yeah. And I was like, well, that's kind of cool. And— um, You keep on finding that, that there's definitely this where, like, where feedstock or where a waste product from one organization is becoming feedstock for another. Mm -hmm. And the businesses are kind of figuring this out. Um, And so I've been working with this group down in Olympia, um, the the Center for Sustainable Infrastructure, and they're trying to look at industrial symbiosis and how to increase that. And so figuring out how we can set policy in place to support more of that Mm -hmm. is really great. But, you know, I... Um, been to, like, there was one, this little tiny log yard where they put all of this money into a stormwater system that was well above and beyond what they were required to do by regulation. And part of that was because they wanted to make sure that they weren't putting any water into the sound. Um, And so they actually have a contract with the city of Tacoma where they collect it. They have bits of wood debris in it. It sits in a pond for a while um, to get the pH level to the right Mm -hmm. level. Then they pump it over to the TAGRO facility, wow. and they pay the city of Tacoma to do the final treatment process on it. Um, and at that point, they pull all of the wood debris out of it, and that gets put into TAGRO. And the city really loves that they have this because mm-hmm. the wood debris, they need to add that to the TAGRO product. Um, so there, there are lots of these like little crazy stories that are so awesome that people are doing that people don't know about. Right. And because the businesses, by and large, seem to be pretty used to just like doing their thing and and being fairly siloed and not really telling other people what right. they're doing. Even their neighbors across the street often don't know exactly what product they're making or how they're doing it and don't know all of these creative things that they've come up with to be more sustainable.
0: Right. Yeah. That's so. That's a big part of your mission is. Yes. kind of, and you're learning about it too while you're kind of telling the world about it, right? Absolutely, yeah.
3: cool. Um, can I? Yeah, one of the things that Meredith was talking about that I think is really, um, I hope we can talk about more today yeah. is that symbiosis. I mm-hmm. think that there's, um, I was the word that I wanted to talk about today was ecosystem of businesses in yeah, the tide flats and how um, businesses, if we can set up an ecosystem that is um, about sustainability mm-hmm. and f- and like sustainable into the future. That would be really good. Right mm-hmm. now, I think that people are concerned. You know, I think that there's – Tacoma has changed. It, its ethic has changed a lot. Right. Like, mm-hmm. I think that people have become much more environmentally aware. And especially as the reports about climate change have come out that are so scary, people are thinking about, you know, their lives and their kids' lives. And they want businesses that are going to allow us to um, to continue our economy healthy mm-hmm. and um have a vibrant community into the future mm-hmm. in the face of climate change, and um, it there's so much concern about fossil fuels and mm-hmm. fossil fuel businesses, and it seems like right now we have an ecosystem of fossil fuels in the tide flats, and so um, I don't, you know, I don't think that anyone I know isn't is concerned about. Um, The image of businesses overall like Mm -hmm. I hear tons of really great stories about businesses all the time. There are amazing business leaders in the Tide Flats and throughout the community. um, But we also have a sector that's, you know, outdated energy and we have Mm -hmm. to be looking at what's going to what's going to set us up for success into the future. And then. Who's supposed to be, like, laying the rails for us to get there? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that the port, I think the um, Chamber of Commerce, the um, economic development folks need to be focused on um, bringing about the right types of businesses for us to survive into the future. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it feels like that hasn't happened. Um, And that's, I think, what people are – I think that's, like, part
4: of that feeling of tension that there is. Mm -hmm. Um, So – yeah, I would tend to agree. You know, I I I know it, this came up I think before we started recording about mm. this, this sort of feeling of jobs versus the economy. Right. Um, and I, I think that you and I both really want to move beyond that because I think we both understand that we need both. All right. all right. Jobs versus the environment. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> jobs versus the environment. Right. Um, but that, you know, that we need a healthy environment for us to move into the future and we need a good, healthy job base as well. And so I I do think that fossil fuels are definitely one of the biggest sticking points Mm -hmm. that that we keep on running across. And my guess is that if everybody sat down and sort of laid out their vision for where we're likely to be 50 years in the future, it's probably going to be pretty similar. I think the difference is the time frame between now and then Mm -hmm. and how we get there Because I think that um, on the business side, you hear people saying that we're not there yet. I mean, so if you removed all fossil fuels from the Tide Flats tomorrow, existing fossil fuels and fossil fuel infrastructure from the Tide Flats, that wouldn't change anything about consumer preference Mm. right now. In Tacoma and in South Puget Sound, we are using more fossil fuels than we have infrastructure for here, which is why we have barges and trucks and everything else bringing additional fossil fuels in. And so it's that acknowledgement that we're not ready yet, that there aren't enough other types of technologies out there yet. You know, electric cars are fantastic. The technology has gotten a lot better. My family owns an electric car, it's one of our two vehicles, um, and— People are slowly transitioning over to that. But I was just looking. Only 2,919 electric cars were registered in Pierce County last year. Oh, wow. So I, I, that's there are less than 3,000 cars. There are 900,000 people who live in Pierce County. Right. So that's less than 1% mm-hmm. of households have an electric car right now. And so it's kind of that like we're – there are baby steps. And each one of them I think is a really good and powerful one mm-hmm. and figuring out how we can lay that framework. But it's the – I mean to me I think that that's the, the limiting factor is that right now – Consumers are still using fossil fuels Mm -hmm. and that until we have things that are a real viable alternative, you know, right now in Tacoma, we have the most renewable fuel options available where we have um, biodiesel and ethanol and that sort of thing. And we sell more of it here in Tacoma than any place else in the state. Wow.
0: Um, In the Tide Flats? In the Tide Flats, Okay, yeah. Yeah. Is that mostly U.S. oil?
4: It's Targa, actually. Oh, Targa, okay. Mostly Targa. U.S. oil is a little bit, too, but they're Mm -hmm. mostly a refinery. So Targa was the first one to bring biodiesel to the commercial market Mm -hmm. in Washington State, and I think that was in 2007. Well, now it's uh, Seaport Sound Terminal. Mm -hmm. They're always changing names.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But that's a good point, I think, and that's kind of been—I that. mean— Oh, now we're going to have to go into LNG, but um, <laughs> that's kind of in the conversation about the liquid natural gas plant that's being built on the tide flats right now. Is some see it as a bridge and mm-hmm. a necessary bridge, and some say it's still too dangerous. It's still too too much methane's being released in the process in the in the lifeline from wellhead to use of this fuel of this natural gas product. Um, So it's maybe in 50 years we'll all be in the same place, but right now we're definitely not. So with the interim regulations on the Tide Flats, kind of the big – I think the big contentious part of that was do we – there's a piece of those interim regs that says um, no new fossil fuel businesses Mm -hmm. will be built on the Tide Flats or will open on the Tide Flats, but existing businesses can expand. And I know that's probably where you two have – been at most at odds Mm -hmm. um so can you tell me about i mean are you happy with them as they are is it a good compromise is it not going far enough is it too detrimental to business can you guys talk about that um when they
3: first passed we were happy with that i think Mm -hmm. it was a big step forward and um this was one of the things that five years ago we didn't like no one would have thought would have passed in tacoma and so um so i think it was a really good step uh but Again, going back to what scientists are saying that we have to do in the next uh, 10 and 30 years, we have to stop expanding fossil fuels. We have to make a 50 percent cut in global greenhouse gas emissions by 2030. And to get there is going to take huge systems change. Scientists say that this is on the scale of um, the way that the uh, country came together to get a man on the moon. Like we, there was a lot that happened. There was – a lot that happened with World War II and like right. reformatting I'm just systems. About that. Yeah, Yeah. actually, I meant um, they're calling it like a man on the moon type operation, but for the whole country. Like, we have to go through humongous systems changes. Mm-hmm. So, like, no one is saying shut down an oil refinery today. Um, what we are saying is like that cannot expand anymore, and we need to start changing our systems so that we're reducing greenhouse gas emissions uh, by 50% by 2030 and then 100% by 2050. Mm-hmm. Um, So I just – you know, I think it's irresponsible not to put – to allow – it would be irresponsible to allow any of our fossil fuel industries to expand at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's great that people are looking at renewable fuels um, that can transition in as we reduce fossil fuels. And, um, you know, I think that there's there's space that gets occupied by these fossil fuel companies that could – be used to help innovate new solutions this is like one of the most like
0: physical space on the tide flats
3: yes Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and so um we we definitely don't want to see any expansion of fossil fuels and we want to see um i would like to see tacoma and um be part of the be part of this region that is actually pushing innovation Mm -hmm. Um, right now it seems like we get um we get proposals like the methanol refinery and the LNG plant. And it would be really good if we, you know, meanwhile Seattle's getting maritime blue and that's going to be a huge innovation and research and development center. Why aren't we getting, why aren't we pushing to get stuff like that to have innovation and research and development happen here? Like that would be, that would stimulate our manufacturing base. That would stimulate, that would like build connections with UW Tacoma. Um, I think that there's so much potential here and like, Housing's more affordable and land is cheaper. Like, why aren't we doing that here?
4: Yeah. We have the we have the space and the workforce and the humongous potential for it. Well, and and I, I do agree. You know, I think that one of the things that I would love to see more of is investing in in attracting more innovation in this area. I think that Pierce County has often sort of been considered the it, you know, like it's it, it's the dirty place where stuff gets done, like where Seattle gets to be the brain and we're the brawn. Mm-hmm. And and I think that, you know, we've been working on coming out of that and saying, look, we have innovation here, too. You know, this is why there was such a big push. You know, something that I was down in Olympia talking to legislators about was trying to get funding for the mechanical engineering program at UWT. Mm-hmm. And that went through in the budget. So now they're going to be growing and expanding more on the science and technology side at UWT. And part of the reason that I feel so strongly about that and putting money into STEM programming Mm -hmm. down here, both at the K-12 level and at the community college and college level, is that we need more technology and innovators down here. Because if they start here, they're more likely to stay here. And so – and then figuring out how we can be um, supporting that going forward, you know, with programs like the Rain Incubator, which I think is really great. Um, I was talking to a young man at the Rain Incubator who – has Can you all of describe these? that briefly cuz I don't think oh, yes. we talked about it on the show. <laughs> Sorry. Um so the rain incubator, ooh and I don't I'm not don't quote me on what it stands for. Oh no, totally fine. Um uh, but basically it is just above UWT, mm-hmm. um and it is a space for science and technology Um, and they have some laboratory space there. They have some kitchen space there, and there are a lot of different concurrent programs that are happening there. And so you have young people, most of them who are graduates of UWT, who are working on all sorts of different really creative ways to look at things. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things I know that they're looking at a lot is on rainwater and stormwater and water quality, Um, and so they have a pretty robust program looking at water quality um, and all the different ways in which we can... Help that, adjust that, feed into that. Um, and, you know, some of them are looking at uh, taking different types of organisms and how you can use those for cleanup efforts for yeah. things. Or, I So it's really interesting. And I think we need more of that mm-hmm. in this area. Um, and – I don't remember can where I? I was going with that. Absolutely. I want to add yeah, to- yeah animals <laughs> so looks like she must have done it. Tacoma
3: community college and Bates College make it so they're so nimble in terms of like how yeah. they can train people and adjust to um, new opportunities. So they're they're a humongous resource in this community as well. That mm-hmm. makes us really nimble and yeah. able to um,
4: I think be a prime spot for innovation. Absolutely, yeah. I, you know, I went and toured um, the new center for advanced manufacturing that's being built at a Clover Park Technical College. Yeah, and uh, chatted for a little while with their mechatronics instructors. Yes, I and met I,
0: those guys a couple weeks ago.
2: Yeah, yeah. and I was like, okay, you're going to
4: have to explain to me what mechatronics is. And they explained it, and I was like, this is genius. And basically, it's taking all of the different parts of mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, and robotics, uh, and putting them all together into a two year program. And that really is geared towards manufacturing and the way that manufacturing is moving these days. That you need people who are much more nimble, who have a lot of different opportunities. And when I talk to Bates, um, they're looking at taking their robotics program and shifting some of that into more of a mechatronics-type program. That you see a lot more interdisciplinary work happening.
0: Mm-hmm. And So are we um, – it sounds like – We're on our way, like, you know, five years ago, maybe a lot of this wasn't happening in Tacoma. Ten years ago, maybe a lot of it wasn't happening. But is there – what I hear you saying, Melissa, is that we need to move quickly and businesses need to be innovating more quickly and also sacrificing a little bit to make this transition more quickly. And, I mean, Meredith, is that something that businesses are going to do? Like, how how do we make that happen? Is that something that the Chamber and the EDB have to push for? Or how does that – how does this
4: happen? So I think it's um – I think it's a little bit of everything. I mean, to get businesses to to move forward and to invest, and I so going back to interim regulations, you were asking, is that a good thing? Right. Um, you know, and I would say that at this point, we're all living with them. All of the businesses seem to be okay with them, and it would be kind of disingenuous to say that most of them have really been that impacted. Mm. Um, That's good to know. And so, you know, it switched from a point of like, oh, we need to get rid of these because they're impacting us so much to like, it's it's kind of okay,
2: you -hmm. know.
4: Um, I think that holding the line on allowing for current businesses to expand – is where, what we're advocating for. And so we were happy with City Council's most recent renewal without any changes. So, so still
0: existing businesses can expand. Existing businesses right. can no expand. New, no
4: new fossil fuel yes. businesses, right? Yeah, so no new but existing can. And so I, that's one of the areas where Melissa and I differ on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I— As we talk about the interim regulations and as we look forward, a big part of it is that businesses want some sort of certainty to invest. Mm. And I think when people hear invest, they start thinking expansion. But honestly, most of the investment that businesses are doing right now is around things like this. It's around sustainability initiatives. It's around um, upcoming changes in regulations that they want to get ahead of. It's around um, investing in new technology so that they can use less energy, they can use less raw material, they can create less waste at the end of the process, that they can do all of these different things. And, um, you know, often when there's this discussion about that we need to attract new businesses and Mm -hmm. replace the businesses that are here, there's a lot of uh, anxiety that businesses get around that, that they feel like all businesses need to be replaced. And so I try to remind people that Part of sustainability is that as we look forward, we need to be helping our existing businesses to grow and to maneuver Mm -hmm. towards more sustainable alternatives. Mm -hmm. Rather than
0: just be like, you have to leave.
4: Right. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, You know, I
3: think uh, I'm glad to hear that businesses are like, oh, the interim regulations are okay. Um, I would argue that, you know, businesses that an industry that has done really well uh, since then or it, it seems to be really improving a lot is tourism. Like mm. we have an incredible natural resources. If we if we hadn't passed the interim regulations and we got some new uh fossil fuel facility, like who knows if that would be true. Like mm. this is this is an area that we've clean we've come so far in the past thirty years in cleaning up our waters and we're still going up. It's still getting better. We just had the
4: 7048 race where there were
3: hundreds of paddlers. That was
4: amazing to watch. Yeah. that's I was was, sitting out there at Point Defiance watching all of these boats go by, and that was so much fun to see all the human power craft.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Like, that water was dead. It was, like, the top four most polluted waters in Um, the country in the 80s, and so it's come so far. Tacoma is growing so fast, and part of it is because of our natural resources, and so— Everyone does better, and like I think the reluctance to interim regulations was because of the pushback from the fossil fuel companies. And it seems like there's so much weight given to what they say in the tide flats that I think is really harmful for our community overall. Mm. So the only you know the businesses that would be impacted by a ban on expansions would be the fossil fuel companies. None of us benefit from that, from them being able to expand. It only puts us at risk. And so, like. I just wish that there was, like, more acknowledgement of where the – like, who's like who's carrying the weight of, like, what people are lobbying for and what people are supporting. Mm-hmm. So um, – and and that it – you know, what are the true impacts of that on the rest of us and on the rest of the businesses in the Tide Flats? Because I do think – I honestly do think that there's a lot of amazing businesses in the Tide Flats that are really innovative. I think um, there's – and I think they're being ignored in some ways because there's – there's just a ton of opportunity, but it's like it just feels like some of the decision makers in the port like aren't aren't thinking about that. They're thinking about um, how do we protect the fossil fuel companies? And So, oh.
0: right, we got to take a break real quick. Sorry. Yeah. And then we can come back to that.
1: This is Eric Hanberg, host of the Channel 253 Sister Podcast. We art Tacoma. Channel 253 is sponsored by our friends at Tacoma Arts Live. Did you know that Tacoma Arts Live offers one of the largest arts education programs in the state? Every year, more than 55,000 students, teachers, and families participate with Tacoma Arts Live through in-depth social and emotional learning, civil rights education, world culture immersion, special educational matinees, and much more. Perhaps even as impressive as the total number of students served, are the kind of youth served. In the in-school residency program, students were on average more diverse than the general population of our region, 79% were low income, 20% have special needs of some kind, and 8% have experienced or are homeless. Getting these kids access to arts education is vital. Whether it's the chance to bang on some drums and learn better self-discipline like one student did, or find a new sense of belonging and self-expression like two sisters who were living in a shelter with their mother did, these are students who desperately need the restorative and transformative power of the arts. Tacoma Arts Live provides our youth with the tools that will create an enlightened, creative, and discerning citizenry, ready for the challenges of the 21st century. Learn more at TacomaArtsLive.org education. My thanks to Tacoma Arts Live for their support of Channel 253.
0: All right, we're back. And if you're enjoying this conversation, please become a member at channel253.com slash membership. It's $4 a month or $40 a year. $4 a month, Melissa informs, is a double scoop at Ice Cream Social. Somewhere around there. Nice. Yeah. Nice. All right. So, Meredith, we cut you off for a break, but oh, we're back.
4: That's, uh, so, two quick things on the fossil fuel expansion. Um, so, you know, Melissa was saying that she'd, it would only impact fossil fuel companies. So, here's how I see it is that right now, first of all, there's not a whole lot of available land in the Tide Flats area. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, expansion is all kind of relative. It, the likelihood of any of them expanding in any huge amount of footprint is unlikely because there isn't land left. That's part of the reason why we have places like Fredrickson and Sumner that are growing so much right now mm-hmm. in their manufacturing industrial centers. Um, but then i A lot of the expansion right now is them moving into more renewable fuels and figuring out what that looks like, because the fossil fuel companies all know that there is a horizon at which the cost of getting fossil fuels out of the ground, the cost of transporting them and the availability of them is going to shift, and consumer preference is changing. And so, I mean, they they do realize that, and there is a move to figure out how to incorporate more and more um, renewable fuels into the mix there. Okay. So – that was going to my, my one comment, right, and then we yeah. can move on from there. No, that's, that's good. <laughs> Thank you. I, I like the back and forth. Actually, can I say one thing? Because mm-hmm. I was just thinking. Um, so as we talk about the Tacoma Tide Flats area, and I forgot to mention this earlier, that most people think of the Port of Tacoma. Uh, and so I just want to remind people that only about 50 percent of land area is owned and operated by the Port mm-hmm. of Tacoma. The other 50 percent is privately owned and operated. And of that, the Puyallup tribe has a large parcel mm-hmm. of land there um, in the middle of the Thai Flats and then along the edges. They have a decent amount of land along the hylobos as well. Mm-hmm. So— um, so as you think about that, start thinking about the fact that, you know, people kind of use the port and the Tide Flats interchangeably. Right. Mm-hmm. But that, you know, the Port of Tacoma only has about 50 percent of land area that's being used towards international shipping and trade. And then they have a lot of tenants there that are manufacturers, warehouses, other things that support that trade. Mm-hmm.
3: For sure. And they also are a figurehead there. So I think when people – Yes, absolutely. When I Don't. say, you know, the port is an entity. It's an elected body. Um, by the Pierce County voters, it's, or its commission is. But it is it plays an enormous role role Absolutely. in policymaking around here. Um, and then I guess I want to just – you mentioned the tribe. And the people of the Puyallup tribe um, have lived and hunted and fished here for thousands and thousands of years. The Tide Flats were originally the land that they lived on. And, um, and we are able – we've been able to build on it because we made agreements with them mm-hmm. that – um they find are not being fulfilled and so
0: um that I we think, would notify them and consult them on certain is that what you're yeah, referring to yeah that's what i'm mm-hmm. referring
3: to and just the overall um you know i f- i see in my job that there's a lot of tension mm-hmm. and um there's i think that there's um it doesn't feel like people are respecting like the the agreements and the fact that we have this economy here because um you know, and, and it's on land that used to be land that the tribe lived on. And so um, I think that we – if we want to have a sustainable future and a thriving community, part of it is like, like having the sense of social justice to like fulfill the agreements that we've made and like bring everyone into this discussion mm-hmm. and have a vision for the future that works for all of us. Like we're all – facing enormous challenges with climate change, we have to work together and like be a cohesive community. And I think we have a ton to learn, mm-hmm. you know,
4: so. Well, and I would say that I, you know, I know that there have been a lot of strange relationships in the past. And I do see a lot of movement towards that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the sub area planning process, right. and the fact that you got all five entities, the city of Tacoma, the port of Tacoma, the city of Fife, the Puyallup tribe, and the Pierce County, You got everybody to sit at the table and to actually come up with a work plan together Mm. and that you had two elected officials from each of those bodies who made it to each one of the meetings and that there was a lot of respect there Mm. um, and a lot of acknowledgement about needing to – to build better lines of communication and that this is kind of like a rebuilding of that mm. and you see that the city of Tacoma has done a lot of things the new director the new incoming director who I think starts this week at the port of Tacoma um, right. he said in his speech at the beginning that one of the things that he acknowledges is that the port has not had a great relationship with the tribe and I think he said that that was his first priority when he took office was to sort of start rebuilding that relationship again mm. and I so that's great. Yeah. I think i mean I mean, you're seeing that in a lot of different ways where there is an acknowledgement that there was a relationship that wasn't maintained where it should have been and that we're sort of having to start again with mm-hmm. building trust and with acknowledging that that there are a lot of different things at play and that everybody needs to get together and work on this. And that this is – I mean, all of this is a big issue. Right. Climate change is a big issue. The future of our economy and our jobs and our families – is a huge issue. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, there's no silver bullet that's going to solve everything. And so it we all have to work together. Right.
0: And I mean, we have, I think, two open seats on the Port on the port of Tacoma Commission, mm-hmm. and those could be filled by folks who are a lot younger and a lot more progressive and than we've typically seen on the commission in the past. So the, there could be a, like a sea change in, hopefully in the port's relations with the tribe. And I think the city is Really shout out to the city because they've done a lot in the last couple of years yeah. to improve that relationship, I think. Well, they really have.
4: You mm-hmm. look at the whole slate of candidates for the Port Commission, and it, it's really encouraging to right. see that you have women, you have younger people, you have people of color, mm-hmm. um, and I definitely a much more diverse group of people in terms of background, in terms of thought. Um, and so I would love – you know, I, I think no matter who ends up on the port commission that we are going to see some change there too. Right. Yeah. Like there's candidates that will be impacted by the climate change decisions <laughs> right. they make. Yeah, right. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> they aren't just like retired. Yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a good point. Um, so we, we've kind of already talked about this, how in 30 years we – you, you two kind of see the same vision for the port. Um, but so – I want to challenge you to look like five years from now, what does the what does the tide flats area look like for you, Meredith and for you, Melissa?
4: Hmm. Do you want to go first? <laughs>
3: yeah, I mean, so sub area planning is is happening right now. That's the planning process that is happening to set a vision for mm-hmm. um for the tide flats, like a community vision for the tide flats and then um, set the plans in place to make that vision happen. And one of the things that we'd like we absolutely want to see, like no, further expansion or added capacity of fossil fuels, we want to see um, more, contr- more incentives or controls on stormwater pollution. Mm-hmm. So um, permittees of entities that have uh, parking lots and different areas where pollution runs off into the water, they have permits. And um, the number of, between 2015 and 2018, the number of uh, permittees in the tide flats who weren't meeting their, the goals of their permits tripled oh wow um so stormwater pollution is a is a big problem in our waters it's the number one pollutant in puget sound and the thing that's really scary about it is that uh there's two things that i would say are scary about it we don't know how all those pollutants interact Mm -hmm. and um, and you know i think at some point in the future we'll figure out that you know the loss of salmon is um or the decline in salmon is It's very, very attributable to things that we don't understand about stormwater. And then um, uh, with climate change, you know, our waters are acidifying really quickly. Um, And when you have all these dynamics happen, it avalanches the impact of pollutants. And so we need to – we really should get a handle on um, the pollution going into the waters. We need to stop increasing that pollution and reduce it so that we can make our – ecosystem and our water is more resilient mm-hmm. to
0: what's going to happen with climate change in the coming decades. Right. Um, so, so it's not just about no more fossil fuels. We just need to do a better job taking care of what's going into the water right now just through things that we think are basic and that everyone should already be doing because it's part of Correct. the permit.
3: Yeah. Right. And then um, we'd also like to see faster and better cleanups of contaminated sites mm-hmm. on the Tide Flats. So there's one super fun site left to clean up. It's the Occidental Chemical mm-hmm. Site. Um and then there's, like I said, I think there's like 112 um, other sites that are undergoing or have not yet started their cleanups, and we need we need these cleanups to happen faster. Um, there's a lot of stuff sitting out there, and um, things just need to we need to get this cleaned up so that yeah. our environment can be more resilient to
4: climate. You know, on on the cleanup side of things, I've you know I've been doing some research and sort of trying to figure out why some of these cleanups have taken so long. And a lot of it seems to come down to funding, that unfortunately a lot of the businesses that were the original polluters are no longer in business. Mm. And so there isn't money there. And some of it depends on what's happening at the federal level. Um, And You know, right now, yeah. (laughs) Right now there's not so much of an interest in putting dollars into that sort of thing. But um, there has been, I, I think, movement and discussion about everybody sort of needing to work together to lobby to get more dollars Mm -hmm. towards finishing the cleanup here. I think, you know, I moved to Tacoma in 1999 and um, spent a lot of time down on the Foss waterway. And I think now to how much cleaner it is than it was back then. Mm -hmm. After a big storm, the stuff that came out of the twin 96-inch pipes out of Nally Valley was terrible. Mm. And that's—I was working with the Sea Scouts at the time, and, like, we would tell the youth, like, don't touch the water. Like, you know, because <laughs> there was, I mean, gross stuff that was coming mm-hmm. out of there, and you don't see that anymore. And, I mean, so we've made these huge strides, and I think that um, you, the community and the businesses should be really proud of that. That, I mean, I think there was a lot of heavy lift, that we have gotten so much better and done so many things, and we're just continuing to improve. But that there are some of these— legacy sites that we've been left with that that we need to figure out how to get the dollars to clean them up and mm. and to finish that process because you know I would love to see us have some of our superfund sites get delisted.
2: Mm.
4: I mean you look at I the the South Channel one and the South Tacoma that one's pretty close actually there's only a little bit left that they're still monitoring a few different things. But that's you know I I think that would be such a great community win to say like look we did this we we finished this and I mean a Superfund site by its very nature is something that is so giant that they don't think that any local jurisdiction could ever take care of cleaning it up on their own right and yeah. so I definitely think that um, it, Superfund sites are especially especially expensive to clean up
3: um, there are state funds and federal funds for getting contaminated contamination cleanup that we you know, we can be applying for those funding, uh, those funding sources more. And the port has taxing authority. Mm-hmm. And my understanding is that they're not using the full extent of their taxing authority. So whether it's, um, you know, I, I and I think the values of our community are such that people would pay a little bit more in taxes to right. get these contaminated sites clean up and protect our environment. So whether it's getting the staff to be able to apply for the funding and get cleanups to happen faster or... Um, You know, I I don't know what the tax amounts would be in total and, like, what they would bring in and how far they would go. But I think we need to be looking at that Mm -hmm. um, if we're serious about it.
4: Mm -hmm. Right. And I'd love to go back to stormwater for a second. And you were talking about stormwater pollution from parking lots. You know, stormwater is one of the things that keeps on coming up again and again um, from the business side, that it's something that they are concerned about. It's something that they're trying to figure out how to lessen their impacts on. And, you know, I – had somebody from the Puyallup Watershed Initiative from their Stormwater Community of Interest group come and talk to my group a couple of months ago, and I know some of the businesses have started working with them. Um, Oh, good. Sort of in trying to figure out, you know— there are a lot of businesses where they don't have an environmental person on staff because they're not a very large business. And mm-hmm. so it's it's big and confusing and, like, what are the upcoming regulations? You know, what are my options? How do I go through this permitting process?
2: Mm-hmm.
4: And so that's great. But I was thinking about parking lots, and one of the things that I never thought that I would be working on when I took this job but has been really interesting to kind of think through is that none of our manufacturing industrial centers in the county have transit service.
0: Huh, right.
4: And so anybody who has one of those jobs has to have a single passenger vehicle right. th- with which they get to work every day. And this is becoming a big problem as we have new young people entering the workforce mm-hmm. who either choose not to have a car or can't afford to have a car. Right. And so a lot of the businesses have started coming to me and saying like, "Hey, we need help with this." And so we've been working with Pierce Transit um, to sort of try to figure out what sort of creative solutions we can do. Um, We've been talking about maybe adding the uh, Tide Flats area into this lift last mile option that they have, um, which they only have funding. It's a pilot program, so Mm -hmm. it's only through the end of the year. But sort of trying to come up with some more creative options. Augmenting public transit. Yes, augmenting transit Mm -hmm. so that we can get people to and from those jobs without – having to rely on single-passenger cars. Just a fleet of Lime scooters. Yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> so, you know, right now they're working on um – the, they're in final design right now on Taylor Way. Mm-hmm. So Taylor Way is where a lot of the non-port-owned businesses are located along that section there. Um, and one of the things when they were in early design on – they have to redo the road because it's in terrible shape – is that people were saying, you know, people do walk along here. It would be really nice if we had a sidewalk. Mm-hmm. And so uh, part of the plan is that there's going to be, I think, like a 10-foot wide sidewalk along there, which would be perfect for that sort of thing. But there's not, there's not bicycle and pedestrian infrastructure down there right now. It's not very safe. You know, no. if you talk about you have large trucks, you have – a lot of truck parking um, and queuing area. And so they're working on some of those things with truck queuing. So and trying to figure out some of these ways in which trucks can get notified that like, okay, the thing that you need to pick up is going to be available at 2 p.m. So you don't need to get here at 8 a.m. and sit here all day Mm -hmm. and maybe keep your engine running if you have something that like if you have a refrigerated or frozen truck. And Mm so there are a lot of those things that we're working through. But uh, transit was one of them that I was like, oh, and I my very first job was working um, as an environmental planner for a company that did a lot of transit projects and transportation projects. And so I was like, look, we've kind of come full circle. <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: That's true. Yeah. yeah, the the short haul, I mean, I know the port has tried um, with making the RFID tags for the short haul truckers. So they're not sitting there in line waiting all day running their engines um, just to make a pickup. So Maybe there are things, but the public transit part is really huge, and that's yeah. a good a good idea to work on. Um, so I wanted to touch on the LNG plant a little bit because it's such a big elephant in the room always um so melissa you recently wrote an op-ed in the seattle times praising governor inslee for pulling his support for the plant um and so meredith i wanted to ask like a lot of time has passed since you were a city council candidate and Mm -hmm. you were in support of the plant but because it was a bridge fuel um and you know to a better future hopefully and i wanted to know if you still feel
4: that it's a net positive Mm -hmm. and why yeah. yeah, so um, <clears throat> so I still have pretty much the same position I did when I was running for city council, mm. and um, it wasn't a particularly popular one then, right? Um, and still isn't particularly popular in the greater conversation. But I I support the LNG plant still um, because it is a bridge fuel, and because I having been around a lot of the large ships. The bunker fuel is such a nasty fuel. Some of them are going to low-sulfur diesel now. Some of them are doing other things. Mm. They're using scrubbers. The scrubbers I have a lot of concerns about because basically it's kind of putting out the pollutants underwater instead. And I worry about what that's doing as we talk about a lot of these different pollutants in our waters anyway, as we talk about our salmon and our orcas and all of our other marine wildlife. Um, But where I see it right now is that when we're talking about local air quality – that it is definitely a net positive to switch over to LNG. And that's the whole reason why a lot of the shipping lines are looking at it, because Mm -hmm. right now there aren't any viable other alternatives. It's got to be some sort of fossil fuel-based thing. We're not at a place where you can do electric. I mean, I was reading through even electrification of the ferries, like the Bainbridge Island Ferry, Mm Um, that one still, they have to recharge every single time they make it to dock, and so you can't have something that's going very far to Alaska, with I guess. yes, mm-hmm. uh, with the technology that we have now to go electric. Mm-hmm. Um, there just there aren't other technologies available right now, and I don't see unless we have some huge breakthrough i don't see us having technology anytime soon you know i know a lot of the commercial shipping lines maersk recently was one of them that put out a thing saying that they you know that they have all of these goals and then they admitted that right now they don't see any pathway to get to that goal mm. and so a lot of the shipping lines are looking at investing money into trying to figure out technologies but we're so far from that that i see lng as being that bridge in between And it does lower greenhouse gas emissions. It does lower all of these other things. Um, So much sulfur and nitrous oxide, all these different things that are getting spewed into our air right now. Mm
0: -hmm. And so, Melissa, you also said in that op-ed, which was really a good read, and it was – you said I – you know, at one point I was in support of the LNG. Or not in support, but you were kind of like – Eh, like about the LNG plant, and then you changed your mind about it after you learned more about um, the effects of methane on the, I guess, on, as a greenhouse gas. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so, so yeah. The, the um,
3: you know, the the environmental group that I worked at in Wisconsin, like 10 years ago, we were in favor of natural gas. Like, everyone thought that it was a bridge fuel, but the Mm -hmm. fact is that we don't have time for it anymore because when you extract natural gas from the ground and then transport in pipes, there's fugitive emissions that come out. And those emissions, natural gas is mostly methane, and so methane is much more powerful as a greenhouse gas than CO2. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, and then it degrades over time into CO2. So, For At the 20-year mark, like if you release methane into the environment, um, it will be 86 times more potent than CO2 as a greenhouse gas. So in retaining heat in the atmosphere um, at at the 20-year mark, like if you're looking at it 20 years down the road. Mm -hmm. And then when you look at it 100 years down the road, it's only like 30-something times more potent. And so – so we have to be really careful, as it turns out, with natural gas because when we extract it, it's it's a very powerful natural gas even though when we look at it for a specific project, it looks like it burns cleaner because mm-hmm. it does burn cleaner. But the problem is that extracting it causes this humongous problem that we hadn't been considering for right. a long time. And so now we are. And, um, and so when you look at... When you look at the LNG plant and you're looking at the climate impacts of it, it is going to be much, much worse than doing nothing to change the status quo. Um, in for the first twenty years after the gas is extracted, and so that would be, um, so that would be during the time that we have talked about. Like right. we really need to be reducing emissions. Yeah. So it will make it much harder. So, so the climate impacts of the plant, I think, are worse um, than the status quo, like doing nothing in the meantime. And even if you look at it 100 years down the road, it's only 1 to 4 percent better. Like, that's not a good enough reason to say that we're going to do this after the worst impacts of climate change have, like, already happened. I mean, there are very scary and dire reports about where we're headed on climate change. And so we cannot, we cannot make our – like the heavy lift, we have to do any heavier, and LNG would absolutely do that. It would be setting in place infrastructure that would have other impacts in the region with natural gas. And so um, I think that's really problematic. And then, Meredith, I for a long time thought that it was going to be better on local air quality, but it's not. Um, when you look at the, the SEIS that came out, it you know this, this, the ships would have both the diesel engine and the natural gas engine or the LNG engine. Um, and so all of these ships, like the ferries that use it and everything, they have a diesel engine and a natural gas engine because natural gas is not, um, it's not powerful enough to use like in the near shore areas. And so when you look at the reports from the SEIS about what the air quality would be, it breaks it down from like away from the shore and then near shore and near shore. There's not a big difference.
4: It's not going to improve, um, Interesting. I'll have to check into that because I'm fairly certain that um, like the LNG ship that Tote has on their Puerto Rico run is 100 percent LNG. I believe that they don't have a diesel. They don't have diesel fuel aboard or a diesel engine.
3: Yeah, I'm interested so, in knowing that, yeah. too. Um, I will send <laughs> yeah, you, the, so
4: yeah, that's a, you know, Now we have to do some more research. I know. Dang and We're, like, out of time. And we yeah. just got heated. <laughs>
3: um, no, I do, I do want to know that. And I'll send you the tables that we were looking at from the SEIS that yeah. shows this. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so, Will, if you guys can uh, find that information and send mm-hmm. it to me, we'll put it in the show notes so sure. people can look for themselves. And uh, just closing thoughts. Um, any closing thoughts you both have or, or – what we have in what you two have in common versus, you know, the things we've talked about that you don't.
4: Sure.
3: Yeah. I think we absolutely both, I mean, I have tons of respect for Meredith Mm -hmm. and I think that we clearly want to have a healthy and thriving community. Um, you know, like when I think about this topic, I, I feel like, I feel scared about how little time we have to, Mm -hmm. to make these humongous systems changes. And I feel like people aren't taking it seriously enough. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that the way that we need to be thinking is, like, revolutionarily about what needs to happen. And and with that, there's I think there's a ton of economic potential. Like, r- renewable energy is a fast-growing field, and it, there's tons and tons of jobs with it. Like, all, the, you know, the methanol plant and the LNG plant both were, like, not that many jobs. Mm-hmm. And so if we look at, like, a renewable energy project or, like, some of the um innovative manufacturing and things that can happen here like there's much more economic wealth that can happen from that than fossil fuels mm. um and i just i you know i wish i i i wish we were like pushing harder on that in that direction
4: mm. Mm. yeah right. and and i think i would say the same thing i mean i have so much respect for melissa and i think um i i think that we've been really blessed to have people on both sides who can can speak in a way that I I mean, I think we do hear each other. And I think that we do have a lot in common. Um, I, as I said before, you know, I think a lot of it is the speed at which we think change needs to happen. Um, And I and I hear your concerns. um, And I think that the reality is that change takes time. And change takes infrastructure support, and it takes financial support. And so um, it it's going to be a heavy lift from everybody. I think that we are starting to see changes. Um, I Sometimes I think everybody would wish that things would happen faster. But, you know, there are things like the Puyallup River Bridge, now the Fishy Moors Bridge, uh, Memorial Bridge that, you know, it keeps on, the time frame keeps on expanding for when that's going to open. And it's been an impact on a lot of different communities down there. But at a certain point, things take what they take Mm -hmm. so hopefully we have the time i know (laughs) that's a thing but and so but you know looking forward i i think that the good thing is that we can all agree on a lot of things, mm-hmm. that we want a strong, healthy community. And to have a strong, healthy community, that we need innovation and clean te- clean technology. I mean, we need to move towards a cleaner future, that we need to have good living wage jobs, and that we need to have these other things that make our community a, a good place to live and where you can grow up, raise a family, and retire. I mean, at the end of the day, I live three miles from the Tide Flats. I'm raising my kids here. And I mean, so I am vested in this. And that's part of the reason why I took this job is because I think that we need to work alongside industry to make those changes and to do it in such a way that works for industry that we don't lose those jobs, that we don't lose the industrial base that we have, but that we're also making it better and growing together. All
0: right. Thank you both so much. is a great conversation. I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Citizen Tacoma today. We are part of the Channel 253 Network, where you can also find these podcasts, Move to Tacoma, Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, We Art Tacoma, Crossing Division, Flounders B Team, and Taco Man. If you'd like to reach out to us about anything you heard on the show today or if you'd like to suggest a guest or a topic, please email me at candace.rood at gmail.com. That's Candace with an I dot rude, R-U-U-D, at gmail.com. The Citizen Tacoma podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Candace Rude, and I fly Alaska. To book your next flight, go to alaskaair.com. This is Channel 253.